0: Hello, hello, hello and welcome back to the 90 Min Podcast. I'm Chris Dealy and I'm joined by Senior Correspondent Aidan Cusick. Hello. And Jamie Spencer. Hello. Uh, Scott's off today, unfortunately. I think he's um, crash testing gold-plated Ferraris for the Secret Service. We've got some great stuff in store for you all this week, including announcing the winners of our competition with P302.co.uk, which we'll be doing somewhere around the middle of the show. First, though, we're going to take a look at one of the most fascinating things to come out in uh, football in general over the last couple of months. The emergence of the Chinese Super League is a real power in the transfer market. The headline moves this winter have probably been Alex Teixeira, Jackson Martinez and Chelsea uh, selling Ramirez. But there's a lot of money flying around and a few moves that have gone relatively unnoticed in all the hubbub. Jamie, I know there was uh, a couple you wanted to flag up, one in particular perhaps.
1: The one that I was going to mention first is not hes not confirmed yet, but it's uh, Luis Adriano, who joined Milan from Shakhtar Donetsk in the summer. And he's been, well, he's already had one move um, to Jiangsu fall through. That's the same club that uh, bought, bought Ramirez and, and Alex Teixeira. Um, he's had that one fall through. But the, uh, the, the rumours from the last week was that he was in the process or in the midst of, of maybe joining Beijing Guan. They offered 11 million euros to Milan and Milan rejected that. And I think they're holding out for around €15 million. Euros. But the, the, what what stands out for me on these is, is the profit that these European clubs can make on selling these players to China. So on this Adriano one, for example, Milan bought him for around €8 million euros in the summer. And they stand to almost double their money if they're going to get the €15 that they're asking. For a player that they've only had for six months and he's only scored a handful of goals in Syria. It's actually really good business for these European clubs to sell the underperforming big names onto China. And it's sort of like a win-win because they'll raise the profile in China and these European clubs can get a lot more money than if they were to sell them to other clubs within Europe.
0: Now, of course, not all of the signings have been necessarily underperforming. Some of them have, obviously. You've got the likes of, uh, as you say, Luis Adriano or... um... Jackson Martinez certainly is has already admitted uh, just before he moved that he's playing the worst football of his entire career but then you look at someone like Alex Teixeira who is absolutely in the form of his life was uh, looking at a massive move to Liverpool he's only 26 years old it's not just washed up out of form players who are just getting offloaded because they're not needed anymore necessarily although obviously that's You can obviously see some clubs taking advantage of that. Um, Spurs in the summer with Paulinho as well. But with the players they're getting, out of form or not, would you say there's a chance that Chinese football becomes a lot stronger and uh, much more of a challenge as opposed to the leagues like Major League Soccer in the US, which just tend to buy actual washed-up stars or, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's definitely more um, scope for the for the Chinese Super League to to become quite a dominant league in world football in comparison to as you mentioned MLS and also the Middle East. As you say, there for, for years it's been sort of the over 30s who've been going out to these places. And like you say Alex Teixeira is only 26 and he's going there, and Gail Cucurella has gone there in his in his mid 20s. Um, also, and I. I think I'm right in saying as it stands. Um, I'm not sure about Jelovic he might have just popped over to the other side, but I think all the major signings made by Chinese clubs in, in January and February have um have been under thirty years old, which I think is is the biggest indication that some of these moves now could be could be there for, for a good few years and and help the league to progress rather than like the likes of Frank Lampard going over to MLS at, at thirty six and and signing 18-month contracts or whatever. The longer they're there, then the more players like themselves they're going to be able to attract to uh, to join them.
0: Yeah, I've actually got a list here of uh, the top 25-ish transfers to the Chinese Super League over the last 12 months or so. Yeah, the, the top 25 in terms of pricing, the only one even aged 30 now is Denver Bar who went in the summer uh, from Besiktas. In there, you've got yeah, Alex Teixeiras, twenty six. Ramirez is twenty eight, uh, and there is a lot of exciting Chinese players getting tossed about between the sides for a lot of money as well, which I think is speaks to the strength of the homegrown players in the league. This isn't one of those where it's just a retirement home. It's also as much as obviously the, the big name signings here. Asamoah Jian moved in the summer for you know, an amount of money, I think about seven million. But there is a lot of homegrown players moving. within the the system for a lot of money as well, which I think speaks to the development of the players and the development of the league as a self-sustaining thing as much as bringing in just your foreign stars to boost the watchability, to boost the headlines.
1: Just with regard to some of the characters, though, that you mentioned, um, there's a lot of them that you would imagine are like, it seems like a mercenary kind of of situation. I know that if there's long-term development, then it will obviously be beneficial overall and, you, and you've already talked about the chinese homegrown players but just the type of characters that you've seen and there's a couple there. i mean like jackson martinez has to me has this this reputation of being a bit of a, a mercenary guy. and it was the kind of players that are often very vocal and their agents are very vocal about moving to clubs and ruling out failing to rule out moves and those kind of things um Juvinho uh, would be similar and so it'll be freddie guaran who's at, at shanghai it seems to be those kind of players the mercenary players that that have made the the first move i suppose you might get more players who are going for different reasons of the money further down the line but at the moment it, it has to be like a a mercenary generation leading the way and another I've, I've mentioned luis adriano before as being one that might happen another one that might happen and seems likely to happen will be yaya torre in the summer potentially i think either on last week's show or the week before I mentioned that he'd be like the perfect the perfect player for this Chinese revolution and I, I believe it was Scott who might have written up some uh, some words on that in the in the days that followed you know that, that it is those kind of players that at the moment that's making the switch I mean I don't I don't disbelieve that there is going to be a, a long term future but at the moment it's a very specific kind of player that's making this move regardless of the age
0: I would partly agree with that I think you know your likes of Asmo come over from um, Alain in the UAE so obviously that's um, that's one you'd probably point out, someone like Demba Ba could have ended up at a club in, uh, a reasonable size club in Europe, he's gone to Besiktas in Turkey, they do have a reputation of paying a lot of money for their big stars, but uh, what I think is quite interesting is the number of players coming over directly from Brazil into the league you've got the likes of um, Renato Augusto came over uh, this winter for about six million that kind of player the um who else came over gill again from corinthians it's the kind of player who you'd normally perhaps expect on the fringe of the brazilian national team maybe about to break into it properly who you might normally expect to go to a club like Shakhtar donetsk or dinamo kiev maybe one of the russian clubs and i think that's at the moment i think that's perhaps the the more apt comparison league wise is one of those clubs rather than something like mls and uh, and the leagues in the uae which are more retirement homey you know you've got ukrainian clubs and russian clubs really really competing on the european stage and i think that might be quite interesting to see over the next couple of years because while this is a, a rapidly developing project it is still a long term one and i think it'd be interesting to see whether the Ukrainian and Russian leagues start to struggle a little because there's a very good piece in the New York Times about uh, about this exact kind of thing the um a lot of Brazilian players shunning the clubs in Eastern Europe and and uh, going to China not necessarily for the money but because it's um there's a perception that it's safer out there obviously there's a lot of uh, unrest in Eastern Europe at the moment and I th- I don't know I think the uh the Chinese leagues emerged at the exact right time to to cause a really really interesting situation in European football.
2: Yeah, and um, I suppose the one thing they are lacking that the Ukrainians and the Russians have is is the Champions League. But
1: they've got their as, Champions League.
2: Well, yeah, they have their own Champions League. But I mean, that they're, they're the only really competent nation. Well. They're, they're the standout nation, aren't they? Uh, oh. Who are entering oh. clubs into that competition? Well, not really. I wouldn't have thought because you've got clubs from like Qatar and Japan and South Korea as well. No, I w- <laughs> <laughs> I w- I'd agree with the um, with the ones from from the Middle East, but Japan and Korea, come on. <laughs> um, but I mean, in I'm, in terms,
1: Japan have always got a lot of. Um,
2: name me a player who plays in
1: Japan. I mean, a big players. So I mean, like Japanese clubs doing well in the AFC Champions League.
2: Well, I just mean in terms of the the Chinese teams have have the start On paper, they're considerably better than all the other teams that are being entered into that competition. I mean, I I don't know much about it, but I imagine that I don't. Are there four Chinese teams in the in the Asian Super League? I don't know, but I would imagine that those four would be the favourites to win it, whichever
0: four it is. Yeah, I mean, I know. Um... Guangzhou, Evergrande, obviously, were the uh, Asian representatives at the Club World Cup this year. So that the you know the, there's a there's a case to be made that they are probably the strongest nation on the say... con- on the continent in terms of club football. Even if it's even if they're not not quite not quite that dominant, that all of their entrance into the uh, continental tournament would be the, uh, the standout favourites.
1: I, w- I would say that they probably are heading that way. Actually, now Guangzhou they've actually won two of the last three asian champions leagues just when mm. you look at some of the the data here there hasn't been a japanese winner since 2008 korean dominance seems to have slowed down a little bit so maybe the the power is shifting towards
2: um towards china in that sense this wasn't my point anyway <laughs> um, i mean yes they have they have a champions league well what i meant to say was that they are i would i would assume they will become the most dominant nation in asia in terms of providing competent clubs for that competition all i was going to say is that it's looking like it's getting to a point now where the vast sums of money on offer for players based in europe is starting to outweigh the their desires to to play in in the uh, european champions league and i know china is they, like they have vast sums of money in, in general but can they keep doing this year after year and and having? Billions of pounds worth of players in each squad. Are they rich enough to afford that? I don't know. How, how, how far can this go?
1: It strikes me that it could go quite far in that sense. So looking forward to the summer, there could be a lot more. This, this will be the first summer that we've really had this um, Chinese influence in the transfer market. There's been rumours, I've already said about Torre, that he might get an offer of around £15 million after tax from Jiangsu as the rumoured club. The other ones that I've heard recently will be marwan Fellaini and Wan Mata. At manchester united and, and ed woodward the other the other day when he was um going through the um, financial results actually specifically mentioned china and said that it would be a, a market to sell to in the future if they were looking to to get rid of people not get rid of people but if they were looking to sell players on they you know look look to china um and i just wonder maybe who who, who might be next if those kind of players start leaving and it's not just the the mercenaries and, and those people with the
2: the money driven reputations then it really will sort of kick off. My thought is that without really going into as much detail as the pair of you have um my thoughts are that this is going to spiral and be massive and and like you say I think we will see players who you perhaps w- would expect to want to remain in Europe and achieve big things at at the established clubs there might start going over to China and I expect that there'll be loads more surprise moves to come in, in the coming transfer windows. Could we then get to a stage where, I suppose, if the if the Super League pr- strikes some kind of television rights deal like the Premier League has? I mean, there doesn't seem to be... Obviously, there's, there's Guangzhou Evergrande. seems to be the most dominant club in China. But in terms of the transfers that have been made, there seems to be a lot of balance. I know Jiangsu, Suning have, have made a few big ones. But everyone seems to have... Each club seems to have its own collection of stars could we get to a stage where all the teams in china are pretty much on an even keel on paper with a tv deal to to match it could that then become a a desirable competition to play in
0: sort of like a champions league within itself yes now and i think this is this is something I, i wanted to bring up at some point anyway um and it's something i find really really interesting about the whole thing possibly because I'm a big nerd. The political influence in the whole thing, certainly the main reason this is all kicking off right now, uh, is because the president of China has given this massive backing to his aim of bringing the World Cup to China, not just as a host, but as a winner. You know, a massive political plan to make the country a proper huge footballing powerhouse. And given the influence that politicians have in China, over so many spheres, certainly more over sporting spheres than politicians would have in this country, that's seen a lot of businesses go absolutely all out at the club level, which is a a big part of the plan is to develop club football and from there develop the international game. That's why I don't really see this kind of, the massive influx of money burning out because these are companies with billions and billions of uh, dollars to spend and they're not necessarily in it just to make profit from the clubs as, you know, you've got a lot of the the very big clubs in Europe, they're still run with the intention of making money. As you say, United have come out this week and they've made nonsense amounts of money, which is, you know, it's great for their sustainability. But in terms of pure buying and bringing in players and investing in the footballing future in the country, which is another big thing that's not really a headline catcher in uh, in this country because it doesn't affect any English or European club at all. But they have set up tens of thousands of uh, soccer schools in China. They're making the game compulsory for a lot of school kids. And in terms of, as you say, making the uh, continental competition in Asia... Uh, something to rival the Champions League in Europe, that's the kind of infrastructure and really prolonged planning that could do something like that, which I think is very interesting. So, it's certainly something not to be underestimated.
1: I honestly thought that what you said is happening now might have happened sooner. When China got to the World Cup in 2002, it was their first time the national team had got to that stage. And I thought that maybe that might trigger something because, you know, they've had the Chinese Super League. For a long time, it's been professional league for a, around the same amount of time as the J League in Japan um since the early nineties. So, so they've had the potential for it. They just, it seems only now that they're acting on it. What I would say onto this, and it, and it continues on from what you were saying. When China as a country wants something, it usually happens. You know, so um to go off track a little bit, I have got some examples that I've uh, been researching. In two thousand eight, they obviously had the Olympics in China in the swimming pool. They they did okay. They sent 42 swimmers um, in competition and they came away with six medals. What stands out for me on this is that four years later, they sent more swimmers to London. So usually what happens at Olympics is if you're the home country, you have more competitors because qualifying standards are lower for the host country so that there's more of them. So for the fact that China had more swimmers out of foreign olympics suggests to me that you know they, they put a lot of effort into that in those intervening four years and then they came out of the london olympics with 10 medals five of which were gold having only won one gold at their own olympics four years earlier so that's you know that's that's the the kind of determination to to put money and investment into something and dominate and, and the other example again it's not football related but it's i think it shows the the the, the mindset is that, um, we had the World Athletics Championships in Beijing uh, last summer, and it, it was in China, so there is going to be a um, overperformance from home athletes. But interestingly, they had athletes winning medals and getting into finals that previously haven't really been associated with China. So the, the main examples here will be um, they had a sprinter in the men's 100 meter final, which is an event that's been. Dominated completely by Caribbean and American athletes in the last 10 years, you know, more so than it traditionally has been. Moving on from that, they got a silver medal in the men's sprint relay. And they got a silver medal in the high jump. And those aren't the kind of things you'd normally associate with China in terms of athletics. And I think, again, as with the swimming, it shows that once they put their mind on something, you know, they will become global leaders.
0: I think it's a very, very interesting time for world football, I'm quite excited actually.
1: It is quite interesting. It's like a paradigm-altering moment, if you will. Mm. You know, the shift, which has always been with Europe, pretty much throughout the throughout the age of professional football. You've obviously had bits of influence here and there from South America, but predominantly with club football, it's always been Europe. And now oh. that might shift, and that's it is interesting to, to see because it's not like it's not like anything we've ever known before.
0: Now, this seems like a good point to. Just pause for a second. We can do a draw for uh, the winners of our competition with P302. P302, if you've missed us talking about it before, it's a website full of brilliant kind of gift ideas for football. Fans have got a massive range of classic football moments for fans of almost any club with the old school teletext page of that moment in question, printed up on mugs, mouse mats, tablet sleeves and coasters. Uh, For example, you can get the teletext page from the 3-3 draw and ultimate penalty win for Liverpool in the Champions League against AC Milan my personal favourite and one that I actually own Jimmy Glass's winner that kept uh, Carlisle in the Football League way back when so we asked you all to uh, uh, we asked you all to retweet something and to follow us on at P302. We've had a massive response to that competition, uh, so we've got two prizes to give away from P302, one mug and one mouse mat. Uh, we're not going to pick the moment for you. You get to do that by yourself. We're not going to send a Man United fan a Liverpool Champions League mug or something, as funny as that would be to us. For the mug, we have at Shafiq39290, a massive Man United fan looking at his Twitter. Not a very big Louis van Gaal fan. And the winner for the mouse mat is at John Boy KP. So congratulations, both get in touch with us at 90min underscore football. And if you don't, we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Obviously, we're not just going to leave you out in the cold. We're nice like that. So yes, congratulations to both. Fingers crossed we'll be able to do something like this again in the future. Give you a little, uh, couple of little bonus things. But anyway, back to the show. Anyway, so we've talked about China, but the main competition for the Chinese Super League, really on a uh, on a global level outside of Europe, is Major League Soccer. That's where a lot of the big stars are moving outside Europe now, or have moved outside of Europe. Jamie, I know you've got some notes down on this. How do you see Major League Soccer developing, developing now as is, and the future out there?
1: So I really like the MLS. I think whilst China might be accelerating very quickly, I think it's still a league to watch so there are there are 20 teams um, that are going to be in the mls now uh, the season starts next month it's going to keep developing over the next few years so on top of the 20 that we already have now there's going to be atlanta minnesota and another los angeles team and that's on top of the mystery david beckham miami franchise that's not quite there yet it's it's there to a point. They still haven't got an agreement on a, on a stadium, I don't believe. So whenever they figure that out, that's when David Beck will be a, an owner in, M, in the MLS. Um, it's quite different from China. The the way that they set up, though, I think that's the the key difference. Um, there's a salary cap, obviously. The players are contracted to the league itself rather than the actual specific clubs. So there's a different there's a difference in the way that it's run. The money. I know that people have, have often talked about the money and you, the money on offer to big stars. It's not anything like what you would get in China. I think, And that may well affect how they attract players in the future, potentially. The MLS are actually really kind. What they do is they release the full wage figures every year for the season. So you can see exactly how much every player earns. The The top earner in the, in the league last year was, um, was Kaka at Orlando City. Now... Earlier I mentioned you know, Torre's rumoured offer to go to China was £50 million. After tax, would either of you two like to hazard a guess to how much Kaka earned in dollars last year compared to that?
0: Eight. I was going to say something like one and a
1: half. It's Well, it's, it's not one and a half. Aiden was closer. It's actually $6.6 6. 6 million hmm.
2: in,
1: in the whole season. He was the top earner in, in the whole league. There was a handful of other players around 4 or £5 million. And others on one and two. I mean, there's a lot of players in 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 the MLF that earn under a hundred thousand dollars in a year and there's quite a lot of players who earn the base the minimum base salary of just fifty thousand. So you've got quite a massive discrepancy. I mean, I'm sure that there will be discrepancies like that in China, but you would imagine that the play, the Chinese players, the local players in China do get paid more than fifty thousand dollars or equivalent. What I would what what my main concern for the MLS over the next few years would be is this now reputation that it's getting for being a holiday camp almost for old stars you mentioned before. You know, in, in the years gone by after David Beckham went there, there was a lot of talk about developing homegrown players, developing American players. They've got things in place, like they have at the the super draft and, and they get players out of colleges and, and a lot of the clubs are taking players from high school level as well and, and in their own academies. So they are developing homegrown players. But I mean,
0: obviously, with the with the homegrown players, you've got uh, one's popped up quite notably recently. Is um, Matt Miazga moving to Chelsea over the winter? There's, so there's, um, there's certainly some positives to be, to be uh, taken for the development side of things.
1: Well, there is another player. Um, let me just search for his name real quick. He was uh, a huge prospect. For the Seattle Sounders, no, it's this. Uh, he's, a, he's a striker, Jordan Morris. He was. Um, he's been a product of the, of the Sounders system. He's, I believe that in January he rejected the chance to to move to Germany and go to Werder Bremen to stay in the United States. You know, so there is a degree of of, of developing and, and keeping hold of homegrown players as well. The point I was going to make, though, is it is of concern again the way that players in Europe. You know, you've got. At the moment, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Robbie Keane, David Villa, Andrea Pirlo, and Ashley Cole, all well, well past the age of 30, all playing in the MLS for just a handful of teams, actually. You've got Gerrard, Keane and Cole at LA Galaxy, Lampard, Villa and Pirlo at, at NYC. And it's that kind of thing where they're stuck between developing themselves for the long term and between international marketability.
0: Needing star power now.
1: Yeah, they they need, they're they're stuck between, there's a fine balance and I think that at the moment, to me, it looks like they're leaning towards that marketability and having the big name players because in the next wave you're likely to see John Terry perhaps go to America this summer, more more than likely Zlatan Ibrahimović. I would anticipate that Wayne Rooney would be going to America by 2020.
0: And um, For example, you would never have seen someone like Alex Teixeira go to the States, um, partly obviously because of the money, but partly because he's not the kind of overseas player they're looking for generally, because he's very, very good, but he's not a big name, which I think is, obviously, that's one of the big differences between China and uh, and MLS at the moment, is name power over quality.
1: Yeah. Because obviously, you know, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard have, have long since seen better days. They would never have gone there if they could still. I know that some optimistic fans would like to say that, yeah, Gerrard could still hack it in the Premier League or Lampard. I mean, Lampard in his final season at Manchester City was not that. I mean, he, he came on and he did a little bit here and there. He obviously scored that very emotional goal against Chelsea last season, but he wasn't that good. City, I think it was clear that he was past his best. And it seems like it's a, it's a way for these older players to just keep their careers going. And yeah, I mean, you could guard. see
0: Ger- Gerard in particular was completely shot. To,
1: to get onto the point that I'm, 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 I'm meandering towards, the problem with the MLS is that a, a lot of these star players, I believe, are, are holding back some of the quality. If you look at the actual good teams, they're the ones that don't have the big names. They're the ones that don't have the big stars. They don't have players on big money. Um, the reigning champions going into 2016 are Portland Timbers. Their biggest name last season was Liam Ridgewell. He was their biggest earner by, by some distance, and he was earning a million dollars for his for his season. You know, in in stark contrast, you look at Kaká earning 6.6 million dollars. You know, the Gerrards, the Lampards on four or five million dollars, and their teams didn't do very well in the MLS Cup final that Portland won. They beat Columbus Crew. Now, Columbus Crew don't even have a, a Liam Ridgewell level of star you know their designated player and, and designated player for for anybody who might not be familiar is the is the player that they can pay more money than than the salary cap would normally allow their designated player was got gonzalo Higuain's older brother and they also had emmanuel pogotets in their squad they're not these aren't the teams that are these aren't the teams that have got the big names you know the big names and it might be unfair to say that because you know it might not be also obvious in in the results and that but the big big teams with the big players did not do well last season in the mls you know, you've got la galaxy who finished fifth in the western conference um ninth overall made the playoffs got knocked out in the first round toronto fc another big a big mover a big a big player they they made the playoffs for the first time in their short history um finishing sixth in the eastern conference and 12th overall the argument. About the MLS moving towards younger players is that they have Sebastian Giovinco in their lineup, and he was by far the best player in the whole league last season. But they also got knocked out in the in the first round of the playoffs. Orlando missed the playoffs altogether. So did New York City, with with their um, host of stars. Obviously, Pirlo and and Lampard joined halfway through the season, but they already had David Veer. and you know, so it's not a a surefire way for success.
2: The MLS clubs they only have. Um, the is it three designated player slots as you were saying before and they seem to be favouring the kind of the big names like you say as a kind of marketing thing and get these in and sell some shirts and, and drive up the, the kind of excitement around it all but when it comes to the actual quality, China that has more money it's not restricted by a salary cap like you said it's not restricted by a certain amount of designated players it can buy uh, although
0: having said that they do have a foreign player cap
2: do they? Okay. Uh,
0: four overseas players plus one from another AFC country. But um, well, but but your point still stands in that you know if if a if an MLS club has a an American star who they really want to pay a lot, they've, that's still a designated player spot because that's still uh, breaking the salary cap if they want to pay them with a lot of money.
2: I know that um, the Galaxy they they found some way around it, didn't they? Because they had I can't remember what it was. It called a core player now because they've. They've got loads. They've, they've now added Cole. They've got Gerard, They've got Keane, as you said. Giovanni da Santos still, don't they? Yeah, Giovanni da Santos. And they have Omar Gonzalez as well, the centre-back, who is homegrown. But I'm not sure how they've managed to get those five and get around the rules. And can anybody enlighten me on that? A quick look at the... I've still got the list from last
1: year. The wages in front of me. Giovanni da Santos last year was in $4 million. Steven Gerrard is on 6.2, Robbie Keane is on 4.5 million, and Omar Gonzalez is on 1.2 million. So they're paying four players more than Portland, who won the whole thing. Paid their highest-paid player. So they obviously there are rules. I mean, the issue here, and and people have spoken about it in Premier League football as well. And it all comes back into what I was saying before about being a retirement home and a holiday camp almost for big players. If you look at all the big players. And who they play for. You know, you've got LA Galaxy, New York City, while Thierry Henry was there and Tim McCahill was there, it was New York Red Bull. Cacara Orlando, if Cristiano Ronaldo goes there in the future, you would imagine that will be to the new Los Angeles team. If Ibrahimovic goes there, he's been rumored to be involved with the and I'm very keen on, on joining up with David Beckham in Miami if that gets there. But if that's not ready in time, then he possibly will go to a more attractive place. The point that I'm making. Is that big names don't want to go to Portland, they don't want to go to Columbus, you know. So, and the point to bring that back around to that, to what I said, I mentioned the Premier League. It's been a complaint of teams like Liverpool, like Newcastle, like Sunderland. Foreign players arriving in the Premier League don't want to go to those places. They only really want to go to London. I've even heard that comment made about um, Manchester, in terms of in, for, in terms of foreign players that they see Manchester as a little bit of a backward a backward Hicksville compared to London.
0: I mean, they're not wrong.
2: <laughs> I lived in South for three years, yeah, exactly. They're not
1: you know, but you the, the point the point stands, the point's valid. A lot of these MLS teams are selling themselves on their location, I guess, you know. New York, Orlando, Florida.
0: Yeah, there does seem to be a big divide between It's almost like two classes of MLS team. The retirement homes versus the development squads, almost obviously at the moment, the development squads tend to be uh, tend to be prospering, certainly of late. It's um, it's an interesting time for for MLS to be honest, which is
1: um... yeah, particularly with the emergence of China so suddenly, it's mm. like a crossroads, a critical juncture. This, you know, the MLS being over twenty years and it's it's boomed in the last ten. This now is where it really gets to the to the crunch. This is this is going to dictate how they fare in the future.
0: I don't know about you lot, but I, I've always thought that having big names there is more of a short-term fad rather than anything sustainable.
1: I think getting big names in is like your foot in the door almost. You know, sometimes yeah. I've, I've gone through that little, you know, when they had Drogba and Anelka a few years ago. And, it's yeah, it's like getting your foot in the door. And I think the Americans had that with David Beckham and they sort of continued... On, this, on a similar path. Some of the teams have, at least, anyway. Although. Yeah, they
0: just just kind of never moved on from that point. It's a, it's almost a stalled development. I
1: mean, I think the David Beckham thing was huge for America. That really kicked it off. It really got people interested in that, and the Chinese attendances have been exploding. I believe that the American ones have been steadily rising for the last, what is it, about eight years since David Beckham was there. Being a big name in America doesn't always get you the big money, though. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips was... New York Red Bulls star player in 2015 he helped them finish top of the overall standings they didn't win the win the overall competition because they fell out of the playoffs early but he was earning $600,000 um for his season now Sean wright Phillips is a much more famous name than his brother he joined New York Red Bull do you want to hazard a guess as to how much he earned in 2015
0: Hundred and fifty grand. Three hundred.
1: Well, no, it was it was one hundred and sixteen thousand. So, being a big name in America doesn't guarantee the big bucks. I could imagine that he earned that in about two weeks when he was at Chelsea. Yeah.
0: Is that the first time that Sean Wright Phillips has had the word big associated with him in any way, shape, or form? <laughs> well, to be um, fair, unless it's followed yeah. by ego. Well, no, I, and I th- but I think that does that does raise another point. You say Bradley Wright Phillips obviously is getting a, paid a lot more than Sean, but to be paid six hundred grand a year into he scored what twenty five goals last season or something.
2: He was certainly the star striker in the league. To be the paid season, his his goals dipped, but yeah, the season before last, he was uh, he was the top scorer by by a country mile.
0: Exactly, and to have someone who is performed that consistently in your league getting paid basically a tenth of what Steven Gerrard's been paid to perform nowhere near as well I think there's a lack of meritocracy in MLS that could hold it back in in that way yes. you know if if, if 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 the big names are the ones who are being paid a lot then the players who you develop are going to leave if they're not going to get that kind of money
2: I was gonna say um you guys know more about American sports than me but is there the problem with the MLS that they've kind of set it up similar to uh, to other sports in terms of, you know, capping salaries and, and having certain designated players and draft picks and things like that. Is there a danger that that's possibly holding them back because they're not ready to embrace
0: football in the way that we sort of... I'm not sure. I don't mind the draft system at all when it comes to developing young players. Draft... I actually quite like it. Yeah, the
1: draft keeps it fair because it's like... It keeps it competitive, at least, because you've got the worst team picking the best players.
0: And it gives those players a chance to shine, obviously, a chance to get a lot of first-team football, as opposed to. You have someone like Chelsea with 35 youngsters out on loan at the moment. So I think it's a good way to stop that hoarding of the younger talent. But the salary cap thing is...
1: it's an interesting one. I think it's a safer way to develop long-term, because it doesn't allow the teams to spend more than their means it doesn't allow the league as a whole to spend more than it can afford rather as we said before the players are contracted to the league rather than teams but it's a safer way to for, for longer term sustainability because they've had obviously in america in the in the 70s in the 80s they had the north american soccer league when they had the likes of pele and franz beckenbauer and joan Cruyff and a whole other names george best briefly and that ultimately went Went bust the way that they do it now, and and let's face it, you know these these the people that are running it are Americans, so you know there's there's solid models in place for them, like in the NFL,
0: like in the NBA. I think the interesting thing is that this is the first with the NFL, uh, the NBA, and with Major League Baseball. There's a point to be made that the America controls those games. The World Series of baseball is just the North American championship. The Super Bowl, the biggest American football event of the year by an absolute country mile is the American thing. There is no there is some international competition in baseball, but the league takes by far takes prominence as opposed to football. Football is a very, very new proposition in an organizational sense. I think I think presents something of a challenge in that way. I think the way the salary caps are being distributed by some of the teams at the moment is an issue for them. Um, I think the the system could probably work, but teams like LA Galaxy are just blowing their salary caps on big names rather than big talent. It's weird and it's interesting and I'm not quite sure what to make of it all going forward. So sum up, I, I do think that, um, like we
2: say, the developmental side of the MLS is improving. I think that's going to continue to improve. work um, Whereas China have sort of, like you say, they started off on a similar level, bringing bringing the experienced players in and the names, but they've sort of hit the nail on the head by obviously having the financial backing. But like you say, bringing in players who are talented now and have still got plenty more to give. I'm sure possibly America could find some sort of, well, I don't know. Could they? Could they find the backing to to improve and go down a similar path? I don't know, but. I suppose what we could do now is, is uh, we could throw
1: some first-hand experience out there because, Aidan, obviously you went to the New York Derby in summer. Yeah. First New York Derby in summer. What was like, what did you make of the overall quality?
2: What did you make of the atmosphere at that game? That's actually a good question. Really, really different to what I expected, but in a good way. There was a lot of enthusiasm, but over things that shouldn't really draw such enthusiasm, like yellow cards, for example being cheered as strongly as, <laughs> as people might cheer a penalty being awarded here. Um, for someone who does attend football matches regularly, it was quite a stark contrast, but it was really fun, really a, a really enjoyable experience. And it's interesting what we've been saying, because I did pick up, just based on that individual game, that the team without the stars performed well as a unit and the team with the Stars was very disjointed and and lost the game. And I don't know whether like the results of, of last season's MLS, with the, um, like you say, with Portland Timbers winning it, whether, I mean, that should set off some sort of alarm bell. If I noticed it in one game and we've all picked up on it and that seems to be the, the way it's going, that surely that's that should say to them that they are doing it wrong.
0: I'll tell you what, and, and, uh, on the fans there, and this is... Uh, Just a short point, really, but one that's relevant in English football at the moment. If America does become a superpower or if people do go out to MLS, that is one part of the world where fans absolutely have to be expected to be treated like customers. In American sport in general, I think that's that's another part of uh, of the big culture shock between sport out there and sport here, certainly in this country. And again, in a lot of mainland Europe, you know, Fenway Sports Group at uh, Liverpool, they um, they've obviously they've come from the states, and I think they were quite surprised by the way Liverpool fans have reacted to the ticket price hikes and such. And I think that's that's something that could cause another split with with uh, MLS in terms of the uh, the treatment of the fans and the way the games marketed and branded out there. Which again, a lot of that comes back to the big names whether or not winning things is actually more or less valuable to the teams and the owners than selling shirts with those big names on them obviously we've seen that the teams who concentrate on their squads more than their shirt sales are more successful but it is a matter of what the owners want out of the team if that makes sense which i think is is another not necessarily another drawback but it's certainly something something indeed Yeah, we've wandered down a lot of conversational corridors this week. Uh, Hope you found at least some of them interesting. A couple of them might be dead ends for you and not for others. Uh, Some of you might just despise us, but hopefully not, because we're all very nice. Well, those two are. I learn a lot anyway, if that's that's any consolation. That's good. Thank you. I'm so kind. Speaking of Aidan's little review there, if you are listening to this on iTunes, uh, just a reminder that you can... Go ahead, and if you're not subscribed, subscribe. If you uh, if you are subscribed, you can rate the podcast uh, and comment. That would be massively, massively helpful. Because you're all out there, and we know you are. But it's nice to have a little star in a box, preferably five stars in five boxes if you're that way inclined. That's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. I've been Chris Dealey. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Aiden. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Jamie.
1: Goodbye.